Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Saul Marquez is here, and today I have the privilege of hosting Chris Liu. He's a senior associate at Desi Bio Consulting. It's a strategy consulting firm focused on disruptive precision medicine technologies. While focused on digital health, his consulting work spans the life science tools and diagnostic spaces. He holds a degree in biochemistry and public health from UC Berkeley and works out of Los Angeles. It's going to be a great talk with him and, and uh, hearing his insights around the area of healthcare, medical technologies, and digital health. Chris, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Saul. Excited to be here. Yeah, for sure. So before we dive into Desi Bio, what you guys are doing there, and, and your experiences in, in healthcare, tell me a little bit about what inspires your work in healthcare. Yeah, my work in healthcare is really inspired by a number of people that that continue to show me the importance of advancing technologies that not only improve outcomes, but provide more equitable access to care. And I grew up with immigrant grandparents who distrusted Western medicine and, and didn't really have the means or privilege of accessing care in the way that I do now. All four of them lived with chronic diseases that back then I considered to be a normal part of life. My grandma Edith in particular was was one of my biggest inspirations. And although she was uneducated, she was by far one of the brightest people I've known. She was incredibly stubborn and had been living for years with diabetes and chronic kidney disease when she was diagnosed with cancer. And she said she lived a good life. So we respected her wishes to stay close to home and, and receive minimal treatment. I stopped pushing for genomic profiling and immunotherapy and, and let her go peacefully. But it's really always stuck with me as a reminder that even the best technologies don't change outcomes when barriers to access stand in the way. And those can be a number of things besides pure financial means. And I think any discussion about proving outcomes and overall quality of care really needs to be framed in the context of access. So who benefits from a technology? How can a technology become more approachable and tangible? for patients that are on the fringes of the system, particularly how can uh, prevention and screening technologies improve and, and become more accessible so we can avoid the mountains of costs we know result from delayed diagnoses and chronic diseases, or uh, how can even remote patient management solutions be deployed to, to keep patients in the system and monitored when long, tiring, and expensive visits to the doctor's office might otherwise keep them home. So there are a number of of other people that fire my work in healthcare, but really my work is inspired by all these things while really keeping the context of access top of mind. Mm -hmm. No, that's awesome, Chris. And and I appreciate you sharing the story of your grandmother, Edith, and the hardship, the lack of trust, the opportunity, everything that you shared is is something that really touched home with me. And I'm sure with a lot of people listening right now, there's opportunity for us to do more. And that's through empathy, through creating trust and using technology. So Chris, t tell us a little bit more about the work at DesiBio and what makes you guys different than what's available and, and also how you're adding value to the healthcare ecosystem. Yeah, so Desi Bio, uh, as you mentioned in the introduction, is a, a precision medicine strategy consulting firm. And so we really grew out of focus originally on life science research tools and diagnostics, and over time have really expanded that to touch other areas of precision medicine. And so we work with both early stage and mature life sciences companies, help them better understand the markets they play in from perspective of trends, market dynamics, and customers. And we really help our clients develop high-level product and market strategies or refine existing or, or in-development product offerings and really act as thought leaders that, that draw on uh, accumulated experience of project work, news, trends, expert opinions, and research to, to really provide an outside objective perspective in advising our clients. 
a lot of people really think of consulting as a black box of advice, so to speak, that, that companies should be able to come up with uh, on their own. And when I first started in consulting, uh, I really thought the same thing for a brief time. But after years in the space, you realize that it's actually quite tough for to be both objective and comprehensive in understanding their opportunities and creating action plans for them. And so it's really valuable to have consultants who can bring fresh perspective to, to listen and sense check and, and pressure test your hypotheses and place the situation in the broader context of how competitors and, and other industry players are thinking about the same problems. Yeah, that's uh, and, it, it's, yeah. it's it's great that you that you mentioned that because it is it is critical for us to take a step back, right? We we get so close to our business that it's helpful to have somebody that's super focused like you guys on life sciences to to help. But sorry, I I I, I totally agree. You're about to to say something else, so I'll, I'll let you please continue. Yeah, no, I think exactly as you said often an industry so close to your product that, that one, it's hard to kind of see it objectively and conduct research objectively and comprehensively that, that really pressure tests a lot of your own assumptions about it. And secondly, uh, most of the clients we work with have such a busy schedule of product management activities they're already doing that piling uh, market research and, and expert interviews and kind of strategy sessions and consensus building internally can just be overwhelming. Yeah, I, I agree. And so talk to us about the approach and what makes you guys better than what's available out there. Yeah, there, there are a lot of different flavors of consulting. So we, we would rarely work on the same project that a big management consultancy like uh, your McKinsey's or BCG's of the world would, primarily due to our technical depth and focus. So all of our consultants have a scientific background and focus exclusively on project work within precision medicine. So uh, there's a background and accumulated expertise in, in a pretty niche space that allows us to dive deep into technical specifics and kind of balance the generalist consulting skills with, with really intimate knowledge of how specific customer use cases or, or future applications of a technology should impact decision-making and tactics in the present. And there are also a number of life science consulting firms that do great work but I would say that we're different from them in a few ways as well. And the first way I'd say is in data analytics. Our firm doesn't traditionally just rely on secondary and primary research like most firms do. We actually spun out an entire analytics firm based on the idea that a lot of structured and unstructured data exists that, that isn't being aggregated and mined to effectively answer some of our clients' questions. And so our project approaches often involve um, custom tool development or quantitative and comprehensive analyses of, of targeted publications or clinical trial activity. Sometimes we draw on, on things like genetic research databases and, and develop competitive intelligence trackers to identify novel candidates for biomarker development, for example. And so I think kind of to distill it into to a couple sentences, our team really approaches projects by asking how we can provide data to our clients in unexpected and useful ways. And I'd say a second key difference is in our mission. So we're really focused on technologies that we think are poised for impact. And we don't just opportunistically seek out any casework in the life sciences space. We have a pretty lean team and consistent requests for work. So we really only take on projects that we're excited about and that focus on the work that aligns with our mission statement, which is driving disruption and innovation in the precision medicine space, which I think brings up a, a third key difference and really why I've stuck around at Desi Bio 
despite thinking, as, as many consultants do, that consulting would be a two-year in-and-out kind of gig for me. And that's that our firm really supports entrepreneurship. We were founded by serial entrepreneurs, and they really care about supporting other startups, as well as encouraging entrepreneurship internally. And for me, that's been pivoting away from kind of the bulk of our life science research tools and, and diagnostics consulting work and toward building a digital health practice, which I see aligning a bit more with uh, my focus on access and, and population health, as I mentioned. So in just a few years, it, it's been pretty amazing to watch DesiBio grow from a headcount of, of three to near 30 now. And uh, we've recently been listed as, as one of the fastest growing consulting firms in Consulting Magazine. And I think the, the partners of the firm really model the philosophy that successful practices are built on the kind of expertise that, that comes from an inner passion and excitement about specific technologies and, and to have mentorship and coaching from senior management that, that really is excited by our precision medicine goals and, and not just firm profit naturally provides a sort, of, a sort of authenticity and rigor that I think trickles down to our consultants and, and that our clients really recognize and appreciate. Yeah, Chris, this is great. The distinctions you're making here around you know data analytics, mission, the entrepreneurship definitely points to to a great culture that's highly focused on precision medicine and industry disruptive precision medicine as you've embarked on on your career there and you've seen across the really the landscape one of the neat things about being in consulting is you actually get to see across the different silos. Uh, one of the things I enjoy too, mm-hmm. like here in, in this podcast, Chris, is that I get to see that too, right? But yeah. you're, you guys are so focused on precision medicine. I, I would love to hear, you know, maybe an example of, of how you guys have been able to improve outcomes or make business better for some of the firms you uh, serve. Yeah, you're right. It's it's definitely exciting to work across multiple verticals. And I think over time, you sort of as a consultant develop maybe tendencies toward a specific one that you you hold dear to your heart or that, that really feels like it aligns with your personal mission statement. And I think that's what's happened with me in digital health. And in that sense, I think it becomes a bit easier to, to really see the direct impact on outcomes or, or making business better when you really care about the technology you're consulting for. And in the world of consulting, I, I mean, you're a degree removed from the impact the client's technology actually has on patient outcomes. And so making business better tends to be a more direct link for us. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes it extra important to be really what I call a mission-driven consultant, which uh, I mean is just being compelled not only by the excitement of having a problem to solve, but really doing so for a focused set of technologies that support your personal mission, your personal mission statement, and hopefully your firm's mission. And so my personal mission statement is to support technology disruption that improves and equalizes healthcare by engaging patients everywhere. And so by carving out a niche for myself to do this within an already niche consulting firm, I bring uh, a pretty authentic excitement and knowledge and skill set to solve problems with impact and outcomes in mind. When you're a mission-driven consultant, I think the classic consulting goals of, of maximizing profit and efficiency don't really produce satisfaction on their own. It's really by having an aligned mission with your clients that, that you authentically help them best improve outcomes for their patients. I can share a few examples. Unfortunately, I can't share too many specifics about our work, but I, I can talk at a high level about a couple examples of this mission-driven consulting practice. Sure. Yeah. And I get that, right, Chris? I mean, you, you can't go on and, and mention names. There's there's privacy. And, and so totally respect and, and appreciate that for sure. Yeah. I would share uh, a few at a high level probably. And yeah. so one, um, 
a few years ago, our team worked on a series of engagements for a large life sciences company that was developing an enterprise technology solution for oncology clinical decision support, or or CDS. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to study clinician workflows, IT infrastructure, and adoption practices, as well as unmet CDS needs to refine their minimum viable product and and develop a go-to-market strategy. And through our work, we were able to proactively identify opportunities to develop adjacent solutions to the one that was actually in question and that aligned with the client's goals and ultimately improved clinical decision-making and and patient involvement in their own care journey. And so the client eventually rolled out the solution and and we spotted some of the novelties that our team had suggested. And we continue to see forward-looking statements from the company that highlight their commitment to implementing some of the other ones. And so that was a really exciting example of where we actually saw kind of our passion and excitement about the space translate into recommendations that were even kind of outside of the scope of the original work that we we were hired to do. And I think that's an example of where kind of aligning with your client's mission and, and really caring about the technology propels you to to really deliver um, something that impacts outcomes more than it otherwise would have in maybe a standard or, or traditional consulting role. Love it. Another type of project work we do is helping clients better understand kind of the market spaces they operate in, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we've done work for a number of clients trying to better understand the digital biomarker space, both for partnership and development opportunities. And we've used some pretty unique analytical approaches to characterize thousands of publications or clinical trials in the space to identify sort of near-term winners, as well as 10-bagger opportunities, so to speak, that may not have much traction yet, but really are poised to disrupt the space. And so I really, I really just think that in healthcare roles that are less product and patient facing, improved outcomes really come from that sense of being mission driven and translating that, that genuine excitement into work for clients who, who have those aligned incentives to improve patient outcomes. For sure, Chris. And, and, you know, we all have a great opportunity to, to better understand the markets that we operate in and take off the blinders of our routine to see beyond what may be apparent insights. What would you say is one of the biggest mistakes or things that you see clients do that really, you know, hinders their progress? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say perhaps one is to focus on small steps first mm-hmm. that, that really demonstrate clinical utility and validity. Um, I think demonstrating to clinicians that, that your solution works and improving outcomes for, for really a keystone use case or two before trying to do it all. Um, is something that is a potential pitfall for a lot of clients. Technologies that try to do it all at once and, and make big claims before being thoroughly validated or, or adopted for one um, often don't tend to fare well. Um, and I think maybe another one is, is really taking the time to do research and connect with, with clinicians and patients to understand the clinician's workflows and the patient's journeys, because really the best technologies aren't going to be adopted if, if too much lift is required from either of those key user stakeholders. Yeah, I think that's that's great, you know, and 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 spending time with those people, the the key user stakeholders is 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 so important. I think a lot of times companies don't do that and a lot of assumptions are made. As I like to requote assumptions is it makes an ASS out of you and me if you assume. <laughs> <laughs> you got to yeah, walk in their often, shoes, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, you really do. Um I think one of the the big things we see in digital health especially is this kind of high-flying tech companies coming in with this grand idea of what a product should be and what their customers need without actually constructing it kind of from the ground up where you're understanding what the clinician's needs actually are, 
what their existing workflows are and where your solution fits into that, as well as kind of what key needs the patients have, obviously, that that can um, translate into impacted impacted outcomes for them. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and you know, and I think it's uh, I think it's great that you guys are are hyper focused on precision health, right? I mean, and it and it shows the commitment of the firm to this area of care, but it also demonstrates the importance of of you know having a specialty and and the insights you could provide and the type of business you could build. So certainly exciting. What would you say you're most excited about today, Chris? Yeah. I'm really excited about the digital biomarker revolution. Mm-hmm. So I think digital biomarkers are, are really a technological convergence of healthcare, consumer technology, and, and artificial intelligence that's really only going to explode in the coming decade. And one of the silver linings of COVID, I think, is, is that it's really pushed digital health to an inflection point and catalyzed adoption of technologies like telemedicine and, and remote patient management, uh, as well as patient reported outcome solutions and virtual clinical trials. And so I think we're really seeing the stage set for uh, to steal the words of uh, Rock Health, a new world order that um, understands digital solutions as near-term complements and perhaps long-term replacements for some traditional modalities. And I think it's especially exciting to see digital biomarkers used in a preventive health and an early detection context. I think there's massive potential to scale digital devices that, that passively monitor both physiologic and behavioral markers to detect disease in real time. And I think we're, we're only getting better at detecting phenotypic signals of disease before uh, they would or, or could otherwise be detected by traditional modalities. And an example that, that comes to mind is the recent case of the 80-year-old woman in Germany whose Apple Watch detected signs of, of coronary ischemia and caused her to visit her doctor. And even though the hospital ECGs actually didn't detect anything abnormal, the Apple Watch data prompted additional testing that, that ended up resulting in a life-saving surgery for her. Other it's, exciting examples, amazing, I think, right? are... It's just like yeah, amazing really that is. those types of insights are becoming available and yeah, are available something today. that we haven't seen before. Yeah. It's, it's really exciting to see kind of a movement from the world of genomics and proteomics and really taking traditional biomarkers that, that hone in on, on physiologic samples and having a total paradigm shift to this world of digital markers where you can measure things like behavior. So examples are emerging in mental health and neurodegenerative disease where passive tracking of, of smartphone, uh, human computer interactions, so things like taps, scrolls, and swipes are now helping predict onset of depression or anxiety attack or neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. There's really a world of of undiscovered applications. And I think we're just beginning to see the tip of the iceberg. Man, it is exciting. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I get excited talking about it. (laughs) I know, I know. And I just get excited hearing you talk about it. And and just, you know, it is a new world order and the the promise is huge. And and so thinking about these things, getting ahead of it is, is so important. So, so um, we're almost here at the end of our talk, Chris. I really appreciate the the passion and the and the insights you've shared. What what book would you recommend to to our listeners? It's a few years old now, but uh, Mindset by Carol Dweck has been a mm-hmm. book that's really stuck with me from both a, a personal and professional side. So Dweck is a, a professor of psychology at Stanford who argues in her book that that people really have one of two mindsets. And that's a, a fixed mindset or what she calls a growth mindset. Hmm. And people with fixed mindsets believe that, that all of their qualities, kind of their intellect, their, their athleticism, their sociability, 
these things are all fixed. And they're essentially a hand that you've been dealt that you can only marginally improve. And people with a growth mindset, on the other hand, think that uh, these qualities can all be honed through practice and hard work. And the implications of, of the book are, are really that many of us have fixed mindsets without even knowing it. And that adopting a growth mindset is really pivotal in, in viewing new challenges as learning and growth opportunities. And so she walks through examples of famous athletes and CEOs with each of the mindsets and, and points out their successes and failures that are attributable to their respective views of, of themselves. And it's just a really great book that I'd recommend to anyone. Love it. Great recommendation, Mindset. So folks, uh, you know where to go for the full show notes, transcript, and uh, just other links that came up in our conversation with Chris Liu. Go to outcomesrocket.health and in the search bar, type in Desi Bio. That's D-E-C-I-B-I-O. You could also find them at D-E-C-I-B-I-O, DesiBio.com. Well, we're here, Chris. Uh, why don't you help us conclude here by giving us a closing thought and the best place that the listeners could get in touch with or connect with you? Yeah. Thanks for having me, Saul. Yeah. I, I really hope other listeners are as excited about the digital biomarker revolution and, and encourage anyone to get in touch with me to chat more if they're interested. I really think we're on, we're on the brink of something special here in healthcare where technology is not only becoming more sophisticated in detecting disease, but, but also shifting to modalities that are more accessible and understandable for the average patient. And there's obviously still a long way to go before, before any of these solutions are, are truly accessible at a population level and, and globally. But um, I'm excited to play a small role in that. And um, if anyone would like to chat more, um, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. Or uh, I'd also love to have anyone subscribe to uh, the weekly newsletter that our team puts out covering key digital health news and, and trends that um, you can subscribe to on the Desi Bio website that, that I can send along to. Outstanding. Yeah, we'll, we'll include that link to, to both Chris's LinkedIn and, and the uh, newsletter in the show notes. So Chris, again, I want to, I want to thank you for, for joining us and uh, definitely looking forward to staying in touch. Absolutely. Thanks again, Saul.